0: It's another episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling, and this is Hot Take Tuesday. That's the show format where I invite Tracy Osborne and Anar Set on to the podcast, and we discuss recent news stories that impact our bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped SaaS community. In this episode, we talk about how SparkToro has paid back their investors. We discuss a piece that... Tries to talk through the pros and cons or really just the cons of raising venture capital. And then we look at a blog post from fly.io where they talk about how they raised a bunch of money and why they did that. And finally, we talk a bit about Twitter and x.com or whatever we call it these days. Before we dive into that, my book, The SaaS Playbook, is now available in most places. The greater books are sold, at least online sasplaybook.com is a place to go if you want to support me directly. And I'm selling PDF, EPUB, audio and paperback copies from the site. Paperback copies, unfortunately, I'm only able to ship in the United States due to the unnecessary complexity and cost of our worldwide shipping and customs situation. But the book is also now available on amazon.com in Kindle and paperback. And it should be available on Audible. As an audiobook. If you go to sassplaybook.com buy directly from me, of course, that's where I don't give a 30 to 75% cut. You heard that right. 30 to 75% cut, depending on the format. I actually did not know that on Audible they take 75% of the royalties, even though I wrote the book, I own it. I recorded it, produced it, and all that. But if I agreed to not sell it anywhere else, they only took 60%. So I get 40. And if I wanted to sell it somewhere else, such as on my own website, for example, then they take 75%. But it is what it is. Buy it in whatever format suits you best. I really appreciate your support. This book distills all the stuff I've learned about building SaaS companies, whether bootstrapped, mostly bootstrapped, or even I had a friend of mine who's working at a venture back startup, and he said that if it's SaaS, it applies to you. Another one of my friends is the CEO of a SaaS company with about 10 people, and he bought it for his entire team. And he said, you know, I know you wrote this aimed at founders, but I actually think it can give everyone in an organization an idea of how your SaaS company runs. So buy one, buy 10, hand them out to your team, SaaSplaybook.com or amazon.com. And with that, Let's dive in to this week's Hot Take Tuesday. Here we are back again, another Hot Take Tuesday. Tracy Osborne, Tracy makes on (laughs)
1: X.com
0: Twitter. (laughs) That is our first story. Thanks for uh, coming back, hanging out on the pod with me.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Excited to rant and yell at Anar and have Anar and I yell and you keep us on on track as much as possible.
0: that's the (laughs) wrangling job I have. (laughs) Yep, Anar Volset coming in live from Europe. How are things, sir?
2: Things are good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back and ranting and raving as usual.
0: Excellent. So we have a good story docket today. First one is Elon Musk. We'll see how well this ages, right? Because this episode goes live in a couple weeks. And knowing Elon, like things will change from day to day. But as of right now, breaking news, Elon Musk replaces the Twitter bird logo with X, with an X that, I don't know, it just looks like an X. And then x.com slash Rob Walling leads to my Twitter account. So is it like a rename what, you know, I'm not exactly sure what's happening, but it's it's rocking the world, and people on Twitter are eye rolling and looking to threads. Tracy makes. What is your take on this story?
1: I have some uh, fun facts. So, a the X that they're using is literally the Unicode char- it's one of the Unicode characters. So cool. uh, <laughs> it tells you some of the thoughtfulness that went into this start of a rebrand. Very Elon Musk. It's also interesting to note that I don't know the whole story on this. I just remember reading some thoughts on this. Is that you know this is something that Elon wanted to do in PayPal days, uh, so rename PayPal to X dot com, and so that that obviously didn't happen. It's clearly a dream of Elon to have a product that is under the X dot com umbrella and here is his opportunity to do it so there's some implications here like is it going to be are we going to be not calling it twitter anymore is it going to be x.com is it going to be just x are we going to have tweets are we going to have x is which is what he said on his account recently X's. all
0: my X's live in texas though don't they i mean what oh sorry <laughs> i need to cut that <laughs> I love it. You know, I'm just
1: chuckling. <laughs> I around. mean, you could cut it, it or you could keep it because it is a good point of like how we've, we have this new, this vernacular we have been using for how many years has Twitter been around now? You know, we've gotten in this, these words, they're in the dictionary. I want to say like tweets are in the dictionary, the word tweet. And for any company that would be an absolute branding win. So it's really interesting to see this, you know, bull in a China shop approach continuing to happen now with moving on of such a this this such a brand and such a part of our ecosystem in the tech world and now making a lot of changes under the hood and now making these very public faces changes that are gonna make it more complicated for people to use it. And that actually might be the point. I don't know. There's it this literally started happening last night for me. So I'm still wrapping my brain around it. It's interesting, I'll say.
0: <laughs> and it's it's a social media platform that we're all familiar with. And Sometimes when there is a rebrand, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. Like it needs a refresh, right? It needs a new name is always a stretch, but new branding, new new updated design or whatever. This obviously came out of nowhere for a lot of people. And I don't tend to get emotional about these things. Remember when Figma sold to Adobe? And people are like, oh my God, this is the world. Oh, I'm so angry. They'd sold us out. And I'm like, I, I just don't care. Even if I, as a Figma but were user- were you
1: an Adobe user? Because the whole point of Figma is people getting off of, I say this as a designer, whereas like everyone's just like, I want to get off Adobe. And then Adobe goes, Pulls totally. it back in.
0: I'm just using it as an example of like, I tend to not be emotional about these things. I, I just don't care that much. I haven't been up in arms. Unlike Tracy, about, barely. <laughs> I haven't been, I haven't been, you know, upset about, I don't really care what Elon's doing. Like Twitter's fine. But rebranding it to X, I think is, is a f-ing terrible business decision. Like it's just not, it doesn't make any sense to me. And unless Elon's playing 3D chess, which... I don't know, he hasn't really shown us that he thinks too far ahead on these things. It seems like a genuine death knell, a shot in the foot of something to just rename it like this. I almost, when I when I saw it, I had to read it again. And then I literally was like, is it April 1st? This is a great April Fool's joke, you know, but it's just crazy to think about this. The other thing, I want to kick it to Anar in a second, but it reminded me, because I have read like the story of PayPal and stuff and I knew X.com. X.com, I believe, was actually... Elon ran a company called X.com and they merged with PayPal because they were competing and they were both gonna they were flailing. And it was like Peter Thiel and a couple other the PayPal mafia, right? A couple other folks were at PayPal, they were at X and they merged. So he has that X.com domain, obviously. But it is, it seems like it's his hammer that he, you know, everything's a everything's a nail when when X.com is your hammer. But it reminds me of this story, Kevin Smith, he's a film director. He uh told of this producer, John Peters. Kevin Smith was going to direct like Superman Lives like 15 plus years ago. And John Peters says, well, you can do it. I'm paraphrasing here, but like, you can do it. But I really want a big mechanical spider at the end of the film. And he's, Kevin Smith's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, like this makes no sense. There is no spider in the lore of Superman. So it's this great story. You can Google it, see it on YouTube. Kevin Smith either decides not to do it or isn't allowed to do it. And then like two years later, he's watching a movie produced by John Peters called Wild Wild West with Will Smith and Kevin Klein, And he's like, I'm watching the movie. And at the end, there's a huge mechanical spider. And he's like, the dude just had one play, right? He wanted had to be in a movie. And so this a little bit... Rem- one com- play
1: or one dream. Yeah. And it could go for both this yeah. guy and Elon. And it's like, this is the dream. And we're finally going to achieve it one way or another. Super funny. Anar,
0: what, what are your thoughts before we move on to the next story?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I obviously have the view that, like, you know, the the, the vernacular is kind of peculiar. Like, uh, you know, like, what did he X? I don't know that that works. But I do think, like, to sort of on the flip side, like, I think I think Elon views Twitter as it was when he bought it as, like, a s- stepping stone. And everyone is, I think, is always currently, a lot of people anyway, are thinking of, like, what happens to Twitter under Elon as, like, how much is he f***ing it up and, like... How much you know? Money is he burning, and like, what, where did all the advertisers go, and all this crap. But fundamentally, like, if you see how he talks about it, the reason why you might want to do a drastic rebranding like this is if you if you want people to think of it as a different thing than what it was, or something additional. And I I certainly think like in the universe of sort of messaging type apps, I, there's no it's no big secret that I was never a big fan of um, of the previous CEO. Mm-hmm. And I think he left a lot of things on the table and never really did much of anything with it, which is why it ended up getting acquired by Elon. But there is things like if you look at, if you look to Asia, like the big messaging apps that are Asia and all the e commerce that gets done there inside the messaging apps in in both China and India, particularly, but also Japan. I think there is an option here that if he's really going aggressively after it, being more of a more than just Twitter and and different than like just. Mostly people shouting about things on Twitter. Then a rebrand might make sense. So that's sort of like the, on the other side of, of where I see it. I think there's an upper, there's a possible. I think it could go one of two ways. Either this gets abandoned almost by the time this is published, or it's like it's a part of something that's more towards like you know making it ubiquitous, all day, every day payment transactions, all that stuff. Which which I think is is where he wants to go with Twitter in general.
0: Right. So the rebrand is to reposition. In essence, X X is a generic name, which could be both good and bad. Right? It's bad because it's generic, but it's good in the sense that you can be anything you want it to be at that point.
1: And in this vacuum of, or all, in this ecosystem of people wanting a Twitter to be as is, as it always has been, and never to change. Now we have Threads and Blue Sky and all these other all these services are trying to jump into that void, which is. I think that was going to be the next topic. I thought I'd just jump right over to it. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. Our
0: next, yeah, our next topic is threads. But I, you know, there, Mastodon is not it. This is just not oh, going to no. happen. There's just no I'm way. Sorry,
1: Mass. I tried to, and I, I had to change. I, I was kind of like didn't like the default server I was on. And I am a techie person with a lot of experience with computers. And I went through all the articles. Was like, this is how you can change your server from whatever they at. I was like, I think I was like the the default one to like more of a subgroup and you can change servers and supposedly bring all of your followers and everything over. And it just never worked for me. And that was a death knell for me. Cause I just like, as a computer savvy person, I could not figure out how to change things on Mastodon. So yeah, no, thank you.
0: Mastodon is is that story of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory because when <laughs> Twitter, right? I mean, if it ha- actually had its act together in the way that maybe Blue Sky or Threads does, I think, I'm, I'm on both of them, but I'm not really using them. But Mastodon was the one everyone flocked to and it just fumbled the ball so badly with the user experience and the need to be a techie. Threads, though, I'm curious to get both your takes on it. I, of course have an Instagram handle only so I can like read my wife's posts and some stuff about collecting comic books and this and that. But I I don't do anything. I literally have one or two posts total. But obviously, I've been able to reserve my username on threads. And when I look at it, I'm like, well, this is pretty much what everyone's posting on Instagram. It, that's what it looks like to me, and most of them have pictures and it looks the same. I also am never an early adopter of social media. Frankly, I wish I was not an adopter at all, but um, eventually I do have to do it for work and such. So I'm not a, the early adopter, so I'm probably not the right one to weigh in, but it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to have much there. Einar, are you on Threads? What are your thoughts on it in terms of it potentially replacing Twitter or becoming you know, one of the big, big three or four social networks?
2: I think it has a chance. I don't think it has a big chance. Like my view, my view of it when it first came out was like partly laziness. I'm like, I, I've been on Twitter for long enough that I could probably get a driver's license in a number of states, and so like, and, and already we, this year we went through Mastodon and then Blue Sky and then some other crap. I don't know. I, I just am like not willing to just fuss around with all sorts of things. And then on top of that, like I tend to very carefully sort of segment my social media so. On Twitter, I'm basically the argumentative asshole shitposting at the intersection of AI and finance. But then I also have an Instagram account. But Instagram account is locked down. You basically like you, I don't pretty much nobody is allowed to follow me. It's like family and friends effectively. And the content that I put on Instagram is very different than the stuff that I put on Twitter. Believe it or not, I'm not a complete psychopath among my friends and family in person, unlike on Twitter. And, and I think that's maybe the problem that, that Facebook name Meta has, which is, you know, this notion that people will, particularly when there's like, you can't delete your threads account without also deleting your Instagram account. Like there's, there's some weird like conceptual segmentation of how to behave that I think people will struggle with. And, and I, that's probably the reason why I think it, it, it may not actually do very well. I think it'll find a sub niche, you know, in some way, shape or form. You know, just like actually like I think I'm sure Mastodon will, you know, people who hate Elon more than they hate configuring servers, they will definitely stay on Mastodon. You know what I mean? So there's there's it's a big enough market that it'll it'll take some share. Do I think it's likely to outcompete Twitter? No. I think Elon is more likely to ruin Twitter himself than Threads is to outcompete him.
1: Amen. Uh <laughs> I think it's a little bit sad that we have we basically have old Twitter, which is now X, or going to be X, or perhaps it's going to be X. We have new Twitter, or like the new Twitters, so Blue Sky backed by Dorsey, who was what? He was the founder of Twitter, right? I'm remembering that correctly, Jack Dorsey?
2: One of the founders, yeah.
1: So kind like, Kind of, kinda, yeah. If, you, but if like, you
0: read Hatching Twitter, and he's kind of a first engineer person who was later named, but anyways, yeah, for, for all intents.
1: But it's basically, it's like old guard Twitter creating new Twitter. And then we have new meta, like Instagram and Facebook jumping in. It kind of makes me sad that there isn't like, I don't know, something else out there. Something from a non established social media company, but I guess it's impossible. in this ecosystem we're in right now, but I feel like this is going to create these these. Separate communities that we didn't have it have on Twitter, or like people were using Twitter and they're using Facebook. They're generally using both. But if Twitter gets fragmented into the Elon stands with X, and then we have the Instagram folks, which is a very huge community, especially I think around for women or like business communities or people doing products, one are all using Instagram as their primary social media tool. And so then they can be pushed into, into this, this threads network. And then you have blue sky where it's like, it's like, as of right now, it's basically one-to-one close to Twitter. That one, I feel like had some growing pains that they had those, those invites. And for me, that invite system really just killed all motivation or any kind of like momentum I had for joining that network. But I feel like that, you know, they're going to attract a certain group of people, maybe people who wanted the old Twitter who are not on Instagram. And so then you have these three separate social media text-based updates platforms. And then for folks who are building businesses and need to get their information out to their customers before they could just kind of just use Twitter or if things like, I don't know. The counts for like volcano or like earthquake detection or something like that. Like you could file things being like there was an earthquake and so-and-so and there's on Twitter and it's like, what network is it going to go on? I don't know. It's, is it going to stay on X because of things going on? I don't know. And so I feel like there's this weird shakeup, this weird just dis- creating of different ecosystems that's, that people are going to stop posting on one and only on the other. And I think we're going to lose something in this medium term period of time on easy access information and knowing where to go to places, and that makes me a little it's bit. A shake up. It's a shakeup, and it's kind of sad. And I'm. It's like we got we got so far in the internet. We got this. We had these these ways of doing things, and there's going to be a shakeup. And medium term is going to be really hard and weird, and we'll see what kind of emerges at, in the future. I mean, like we went from MySpace to Facebook, so you know maybe we, <laughs> who knows what the 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 Facebook for our MySpace is now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that that I actually like. Probably one of the problems with jack dorsey 's Twitter was that like I actually think probably more businesses make more money on Instagram and on Pinterest than on twitter like i I never think I never think they they managed to to really in a meaningful way monetize that like there are some you know there's some kind of businesses but, that, that might thrive on Twitter, but it, I think it's a it's a it's a very small sliver compared to anything else, so yeah i don 't know. Yeah,
0: their ad networks not great. I mean, that's so much they're so far behind.
1: Prepare yourselves for a shakeup, and it's going to be a while. And as business owners, for people in SaaS, I think that it's might be hard to figure out what social media platform you use for your business in the short term to figure out you know how to get find customers if you're using social media. But hopefully, something will come into place like a new. Uh, industry leader at some point.
0: And I'm just going to hang out on the sidelines like I usually do and wait till all the dust <laughs> settles and then be like, oh, that's who won. Or there's three now. What tiny seed company hits all three APIs and allows me to post the same thing to all three, right? I mean, that's essentially what it's going to be.
1: We had that before with Tumblr and Twitter and a few other things back in the day, too. There were other networks other than Twitter that people were posting in one place and it automatically share to all of those things. And it's honestly, we need a tool like that now.
0: Yeah, and it'll get built. You know, maybe postpone right now, you know goes after Reddit, and you can you can imagine grant a Chinese seed company uh, postpone adding that functionality. once of, there's probably a not a threads API. It can't be yet, right? And I don't think they would they would have it out yet. Anyways, let's move on to our next story. Actually, our next couple of stories are about funding. And so the first one I want to touch on is a tweet that I sent out about three weeks ago. In it, I said, it's super impressive to watch Rand Fishkin and Casey Henry execute on their vision of SparkToro, not only their vision of the product, but of how they wanted to operate their company. They didn't raise VC and opted instead to raise a small round from 35 investors, I'm one of them, whom they have just paid back in full. Future returns are expected to come through dividends. And then I sarcastically say profit, what a novel idea for a startup. And for what it's worth, their investment terms served as the basis for how we invest, Via Tiny Seed, huge congrats to them and their team. And just so folks are clear, basically Casey and Rand didn't want to raise venture and go on the venture track because Rand's been down that road before. If you've read his book Lost and Founder, he has pretty strong opinions on how that basically failed. They, they built a great business and venture ruined it is kind of the, the lesson from, from his experience there. And so when they came out with SparkToro, it's like, well, let's just sell equity in the company. And however much percentage of that you own, you know, we'll kick off dividends, right? And that became one component of TinySeed. Now, what we've actually found within TinySeed, little known fact, it's about 80-20. When Seed founders come in, we, I, I used to ask, do you want to grow as fast as possible, be the ambitious bootstrapper and sell? Or usually it's enough money, you never have to work again. Or would you prefer to run your company for the long term, make it profitable, and pull off dividends, right? And it's about 80% that want to sell. Might even be a little more than that now. But it is the option, right? That's one of the advantages of a tiny seed. You know, an in Indie.vc, depending on which terms, I believe Indie uses different sets of terms and different versions and stuff. But really, Rand and Casey wanted to grow this business on their own terms, and just because they paid investors back, someone approached me and said, oh, they bought you out. And it's like, no, 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 we, we got our money back and now you know they can take raises and they, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in their terms. He, he open-sourced the terms. You can search for like Toro investment terms and they are just on the internet so you can check them out. I will say with TinySeed, one difference is we don't have a 1x hurdle. They basically put a 1x hurdle in, meaning before they could take substantial dividends, they had to pay all investors back and then dividends start. We did away with that. It Honestly, it felt very pro-investor, which was great when I was investing, but as, as TinySeed, I, I think it was just a little too generous for investors. All that said, Einar set, what are your thoughts on SparkToro making their model successful, you know, kind of pioneering a new model and having this milestone?
2: A huge congrats to to Rand and team, and and you know obviously Rand was very supportive of Tiny Seed early on, and, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful. My view of it is, I, I think it's great for them. If I'm going to be critical, I feel like they're probably underestimating their future desire to sell down the line, and it's probably optimized a little bit for dividends. Which, just because of the nature of SaaS companies and how they're valued, it's quite hard to. Basically, an exit, you're typically, once you get to a certain size past a couple of million ARR, you're typically selling on some kind of an ARR multiple. And, you know, a typical free cash flow profit, something available for for dividends is, you know, obviously (laughs) some sub percentage of of the revenue. So it's not unusual for a pretty well run, profitable scale, you know, at scale SaaS business to be doing 30 ish percent free cash flow that could be kicked out to dividends. Now, if you do the math on that, if that same business is growing well enough and is at a size, it, it you know it probably is going to sell for at least five times ARR. If you do the math on that, like that's 15 years of dividends or you know a sale that returns the same amount of money probably with preferable tax treatment. So that's basically the reason why we didn't adopt it immediately. Dan and I also, I think most founders, 80, 90, 95% probably, will not be in sort of rands in case he's view of the world and that they're never going to sell they're going to run this forever and it's just going to be a dividend machine so so i think that's probably the the biggest sort of not objection exactly it's, it's more like a lifestyle choice that's what they want to do that's fine their investors want to back them in that way that's tot- also obviously totally fine i think purely from like maximizing return you know there, there are probably different ways to do it in terms of if nothing else in terms of tax treatment and, and time value of money tracy any
0: thoughts from you
1: Rand's blog post is super fascinating to read because not only it goes into like the thoughts around dividend model, but also kind of the story of Spark Toro and kind of, and how the lessons they learned. And I thought it was interesting. Well, a, I'm obviously a huge fan of this this model, being that I work here at Tiny Seed. There were some nuggets in there where, you know, it's good to note the, the kind of influence that Rand had and how that was able. But I'm happy that he was able, like, I use his influence to create this new model, and inspire folks like us here at Tiny Seed. But his influence also made it uh, more likely to be successful because, you know, comparing his journey to Tiny Seed companies, they started Park Toro in March 2018. They closed their round in June. So that's only a few months between launching a company and then closing around. And that's probably built on the fact that people know Rand and how awesome he is having that amazing network. And so that's obviously not someone, if someone else is looking into doing the semi bootstrap model, that's probably not something that's going to work for them because unless they already have that network that Rand had. And then they were able to work on SparkTower for about two years before launching. And so that's kind of one of those those things that, that brought out to me, like a difference between how SparkTower does it with their terms. And the reason why Tiny Seed exists with our education and this is not meant to be a um an advertisement, but I was I was noting like this is why we have the accelerator side of things because otherwise someone trying to go through this like semi-bootstrap model wouldn't be able to raise that amount of money immediately. And then be able to, you know, work on their company for a couple of years and then start moving into like being profitable and dividends and whatnot after launching after two years without having that existing network. So I wanted to bring that out. That was a huge advantage to RAND. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of companies there are a lot of folks who want to go through that semi bootstrap route needs to go through an accelerator.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, that's knowing your unfair advantages. I often talk about the three unfair advantages when starting a SaaS company. One is being early. Second is having an amazing network. Third is having an audience. Usually an engaged audience, and Rand definitely has an credible network and an audience right doesn't he have half a million X followers I yeah. <laughs> say twitter it's x <laughs> anyways. He he knew that and he leaned into it, but for those who don't, you know, you can't just make that appear out of thin air, right? So he was leaning into his advantages.
1: And one more thing I thought was really interesting from the blog post was that when they reached profitability, instead of starting doing their payback, they invested $1.2 million in a US treasury bond with the intent of earning a little interest while they built up a cash cushion. And then a few, uh, let's see, six months later, They got that cash cushion with that continued profitability and the treasury bond payback. And then they were able to start doing that payback to the investors. So I thought that was really interesting. I haven't heard that from other profitable companies as an option for building up that cash cushion. So I'm going to throw that question out there. What do you two think about that? And like, is that an option that people should look at if they're profitable?
0: I mean, it really depends. I think they were being, Rand and Casey were being pretty conservative with their money. They had the money to pay investors back, but if they wrote the checks, suddenly they have no cash in the bank, and what if? What, you don't know what's going to happen. Is there another pandemic that happens and things go sideways? And in fact, Spark Toro is heavily based or was heavily based on the Twitter API. And in fact, they have had, you know, he talks about it in the blog post, I know, you know, obviously a little more as an investor, but they ran into a lot of platform issues there and had to rewrite a bunch of it and stand still for a while. And it didn't do their growth any favors to have to do that. And so was it the correct choice for them? Probably, because there was risk. I think if, if you're being less conservative or if there isn't a ton of risk, then, you know, the moment you have the money in the bank, you can pull it out, so to speak, as long as you have enough breathing room.
1: Overall, I feel like it's it's a really good example of what I want to call the dream. You know, a company that the kind of company that people want to build where they keep control and but they do bring in just enough money so they can get over those initial hurdles so that they become profitable and then they can like both be profitable in a reasonable period of time, but also have more control over their future. So I, I, at the very least, I'm happy to hear more stories like this come to light. So folks know that is an option for them, other than the, the black and white bootstrap only, or full VC route only.
2: I think that's true. I mean, that's sort of my view of it, too. It's like, It sort of like highlights the fact that like there are different ways of doing it than just raising money every eighteen months and IPO or bust, which obviously we're huge believers in. And uh, I think it just showcases that like you you get to a certain size, which isn't maybe as big as people think, and you're profitable. The world's your oyster. You have options, basically.
0: Yeah, and that even within bootstrapping, say SparkToro is still mostly bootstrapped. Like it's not like there is millions of ventures. They're not on the venture track, and yet they raised a small amount of funding and. That you can still keep incredible control over your own destiny, but you know, and still raise this this small amount. With that, we'll move on to our next story. We'll see if we get to the the next two. They're both about funding. The the next one, I'm I don't want to rag on the person who wrote it, but this was published in the last couple of weeks, and it's called. Rag on him, Rob. Don't take VC funding. It will destroy your company. And then proceeds to say, VC funding is not a success, it's a failure. VC funding means you will sell your company. Second order effects, because your goal is to sell your company later, it has to grill, you'll be spending much of your time finding the next investors. You have to focus on large markets with many or large customers. Profitability takes a backseat, and this kills your company. And there are other ways to do it without raising venture. And here's what, I I agree with everything he says, but I'm like, no <laughs> like Basecamp started talking about this 20 f-ing years ago. I started talking about this 18 years. Ago. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just don't get, and this was like at the top of Hacker News when I found it. It's like, this is not a new take. And this is actually what bothers me a little bit. Maybe it's, is it the internet or is it like the startup? Sphere, but
1: it's just a rage bait thing.
0: I will yeah. say things. I've said things in my book in 2010. And then every year or two, someone basically is like, I just discovered this new thing. Oh my God, did you know you can bootstrap startups? And it's like, where have you been? Do you not read anyone else's stuff? So that's when I read this, I'm just like, I said, none of this is new. Is this new to anyone? Is this new information to anyone except for like someone who's not been on the internet their whole life? And this is their first day on the internet. Am I being too angry about this? And our set.
2: I think maybe you haven't spent enough time on Twitter writing threads about X.com bootstrap. <laughs> that's your main problem right here. Maybe, maybe the X rebrand finally will get the full Rob Walling experience. I mean, yeah, I I agree with this. Like, I look at it; it's like this is like you know rage bait, click bait, whatever you want to call it. That's fundamentally what it is to me. It's like I mean, it's like how do you get people to talk about it? Like say on a podcast (laughs) it's like you make the most ridiculous like extreme views of of your opinion if you have the more balanced view which is that you know what like maybe in the last couple of years it's been such that VC funding has been a little overblown and there is this other way and it gives you opportunities and both have you know there are just because I'm you know obviously pro tennessee it doesn't mean that I that I think there aren't situations where definitely like you need to raise a bunch of money to do things like I don't know Building rockets to go to Mars needs a bunch of capital. You're not going to bootstrap a rocket company. That's just not going to happen. And like, I feel like a balanced article like this just would never get picked up because it's sort of obvious. That's what I think.
0: Tracy, anything to add?
1: I My notes for this, when I was researching this, uh, you, you went through most of them. I'm just like, need citation, need citation, is a straw man. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> not true, not true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was like a quote. I mean, hmm, I think this, this goes really well with the story about Rand in that we need to have more stories of people taking a middle route because the middle route is not obviously a path that people can take because all the stories in the past in the last 10 years have been bootstrapped or VC. And then people are like, you can't do all VC. And it's like, but there's this middle option. So we need to have more success stories showing company that took just enough money so they can get over those hurdles so that they can the, all of the things that this article says are negatives, then they, they can navigate those hurdles by not going the full VC route. The article also has things where it's just like, oh yeah, every company can be bootstrapped, which is very not true because it, it has this anecdote about starting a medical software company and then starting a one-person consultancy and then you learn about the problems and then maybe you hire and then maybe you do this. And it's like this process would actually take years, years. And it, like bootstrapping something for years is... Not possible for the average person, which is why this path needs to exist. So you can take that multi-year process of finding product market fit and getting the point where you understand the questions and you understand what you need to solve, and then you can start doing the hiring and and get yourself to that level where you you have that flywheel running. Take just enough money so that you can turn that multi-year process to a much, hopefully, much shorter period of time by being able to throw money into it. And yeah, so they go they go hand in hand. It's like this this guy needs to, I think, instead take his rage against VC routes and instead take his passion for startups and start advocating in this article, I think, to show people what they can do instead or what they can do to solve both those problems.
0: I don't read that he has rage and I don't actually disagree with him. That's the problem. But it's like, but say something new. Like I, I can go find basically what he said here in 20 other places, including Rand's book, Lost and in Founder, including probably just going to chat GPT and asking, including going to Google, including, you know, there's, there's dozens of essays that basically said this and probably said it better. So that's where I'm like, you have this feeling, that's cool. Say something new.
1: Yeah, but you all got Top of Hacker News, so it's working.
2: Top of Hacker News, that's the one. I mean, I think one of, the, one of the interesting things which we're starting to see is that I think a lot of companies will be forced into this realization because the funding drained up. So I think a lot of VC, a lot of companies that probably never have been able to raise anywhere near the kind of money that they did in 20 and, well, 20 and 21, they raised a crap ton of money and now they're like, oh, we're nowhere near the now much bigger hurdle for the round that we need next. And so they basically have a choice. They have a choice. Do they stay on the VC track and like try to run at the wall as fast as possible and hopefully figure it out? Or are they gonna like divert more towards this middle ground? And and I think you know, obviously there'll be some successes at the people who, who sort of run at the wall or run off the cliff or however you want to call it. But I think the the much in terms of success for founders. I think a lot more of those successes will come from the companies that are able to steer on a more sustainable path, get to break even at you know at best something like that, or maybe with a small bridge room.
0: For now, until the mar, you know, until the cycle happens again, right? The cycle happened in the late '90s with internet companies. It happened in 2005 to seven when money was cheap. It happened again in the late teens, and and we see it, and so it'll it'll come back, and everything old will be new again, and we'll hear people saying, "This is never going to stop," and then we'll say, ah, "I've been through this a few times." Is
1: this is what it's like aging, isn't it?
0: It is. You start seeing the same <laughs> the same cycles over and over. Yep. <laughs> Last story of the day, really just piggybacks on this one. It's from fly.io. And if you're not familiar with them, their H1 is deploy app servers close to your users, run your full stack apps and databases all over the world, no ops required. So they're essentially they're they're similar to a, a digital ocean or you know, maybe like an Amazon EC2 type thing. I know they're different, but it gives you an idea. They're infrastructure as a service. And they released a blog post that is titled, We Raised a Bunch of Money, which actually appreciated the title. This past July, we raised $25 million from A16Z and our existing investors, including Intel Capital and Dell. Recently, we raised an additional $70 million led by EQT Ventures. And then they go through to say, here's why we did this. Number one, a hardware fleet. Fly.io has always run on its own hardware. There are fun technical control and destiny reasons to rack hardware. Number two, to hit all the regions. Number three, support and reliability. And then they talk about what's not changing because funding cuts both ways now. people see you raise funding, they're like, "Uh uh-oh, is it going to ruin the company? I really brought this up. It was coincidental. This was also at the top of Hacker News. I don't know if it was the same day or a few days later, but this to me is an example of probably a pretty good time to raise money. I remember talking to Dharma Shah, co-founder of HubSpot back in at business software in like 2008 or 9 and he and I had been the bootstrapper blogger types and they raised a bunch of money for HubSpot and I remember saying why did you decide he wasn't like super pro bootstrapper but he was just a very sensible Sensible entrepreneur who is building a real product for real customers to pay him real money. So, not on that weird venture, everything's we got to raise from day one and billion dollars and blah, 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 even though that's what they eventually grew to become, right? Because they've IPO'd since then. But I remember him telling me, you know, yeah, we would totally bootstrap. But at a certain point, if you can put a dollar in the machine and take $3 out on the other side, don't I want to raise like 20 million, 50 million of those dollars to put in the machine to make it grow faster. And it was a great, you know, again, I'm I'm three, four years into really owning software products at the time. And I was like, ah, there's really is a time when it's probably, even if you're not building Facebooks or you're not building things that are really, you know, really are money intensive, where it probably does make sense to take on outside capital. And that was why in my first book, Start Small Small I published in 2010, within the first chapter, I say, I'm not anti-VC. I'm just anti the narrative that everybody all the time needs to raise it to start any tech company because that's not correct, right? And that's kind of been my mission in life for the past 18 years since then is just saying that, There are multiple paths, but I do think there are companies that if I were to start them, like I have a few ideas, I'm never going to start a SaaS company again, by the way, for the record. But if hypothetically I were to do it, thought experiment wise, I would go after a really big market, right? I would find a Haiti competitor in a massive space and I would raise money right from the start. Not because I can't do it as a bootstrapper, because I want to move fast. I want the resources. I know the value that it can provide.
1: And you have the network. I have the network,
0: have the audience. Yeah. So Tracy, any other thoughts on this fly.io piece?
1: Did you know we use fly.io for tiny seed applications? No, I did not. Yeah. What? That's where we're hosted. Huh. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. When we were talking about this. I was, just, I, uh, yeah, that's where I deployed the that's application. Cool. So they, I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, it's, you know, I needed something that was like, broken. Different. They they should be be. there's They're several tiny companies that we're, use them. We're paying the money and they don't know that we're using them. Yeah. So now they know that we're using them. To but they raise money, Tracy. So, we
0: need to get off and go to a hosting company that didn't raise money. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, that goes into the note. Like that, that I had that note In Well, that note in my notes where compared to the other guy, the saying that like, oh, just start a medical consultancy company and start from scratch and start really small. And like this is a great example of something that could not start small because they needed to – they need the capital so they can have – these to support all regions and so imagine if like they only had one region available for people to deploy put deploy to that wouldn't be tenable for most folks and so literally there are this is a great example of a company that needs to have the investment so they can fulfill the promise that they have for their users of having this like quick easy deployment that's really fast and snappy yeah it's it's a great example of a company where both strapping slowly would not work
0: and our closing thoughts on this piece
2: yeah, I mean, I've I've always been in the opinion that like capital is a tool, and uh, you know that's partly of why we started Tiny Seed in, in in part because like some of the early accelerator stuff were all optimized for this like IPO robust type scenario, and not everybody has you know wealth enough to not take a salary for a year or two while they figure it out. So it made total sense to to offer something like like Tiny Seed. That was a hole in the market. That's what capital is there to do, and like you know we we also see with Tiny Seed companies like you know, once they get to a certain size, and it sort of relates to like everybody sells. It's like, you know, once you get to a certain state, there are certain things you may or may not want to do, uh, and certain things that you want to, to get go after. And so we see tiny seed companies, once they get to, a, to you know, a million or two or three or four, you know, take in private equity type growth round funding to get to the next step to build out the stuff that they want to do. And you know, I, I'm not for or against really anything. It's just is it the appropriate tool? And I think for fly.io, it definitely is. And I think for, for a lot of companies, it, it can be at different stages. Just, just make sure you take the right kind of money, basically.
0: And you know what you're getting into.
2: Yeah, and don't, don't take money at like the highest possible valuation you possibly can just because that's the highest possible valuation unless you then really want to be on sort of the IPO train or bust. Make sure that you understand what you're doing when you're taking capital.
0: Yeah, I had a tweet I spit out a few months ago, and then it's a quote. It's actually a quote from my book, The SaaS Playbook, where I say, Being anti funding is like being anti hammer. Hammer is just a tool, <laughs> yeah. and it's right sometimes, and it's not other times. So these extreme views, while they get the clicks and they get to the top of the, the Hacker News, it's irresponsible. It's just dumb. Anytime I see someone say always and never in all caps, I'm like, You are way too sure of yourself because it pretty much never applies. And I say that. In all caps, Anar Volset. Thanks so much for joining me today on this Hot Take Tuesday.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: You are Anar Volset on X.com. <laughs> I, it's, we're never, we're never going to not nose, <laughs> nose laugh, nose short. It sounds-
1: not safe for work, which is probably what Elon loves. Oh,
0: yeah, that's interesting.
1: Actually, they they took down uh the twitter.com slash x videos is now a suspended account. A lot of people are supposing it's because x videos is gonna be the new video platform for Twitter. Oh, <laughs> which trip. is also not safe for work <laughs> as a website URL. <laughs> anyway, sorry, derailed that. Fun facts.
0: <laughs> and Tracy Osborne, you are Tracy Makes on Twitter and Everywhere Mastodon else. and... <laughs> pinterest yep. wait no is that true and threads and no you're you're just kind of everywhere and uh tiny seed applications open well it's like six weeks the beginning from now, of I, september I beginning of september
1: right after um, labor day
0: listen to this and interested and i will be the first to say if you don't want funding don't raise funding yeah. you know
1: what i mean like i'm not but if you want just yeah. enough funding Go find that. Right.
0: If you (laughs) want just enough funding with like (laughs) world-class mentorship and a cohort and masterminds and all the stuff, then uh, check us out. TinyC.com. And let's see, this is going to go live in, I don't know, mid-August or something. Starting in September, each of us is going on the road for different reasons for tiny seat events and microconf. So that we have several microconf locals. If folks are interested, head to microconf.com. There's an you know an events tab at the top. And we have Microconf Europe in Lisbon, which is probably already sold out by the time this will air. But get on the wait list because tickets, you know, here and there do become available as the venue. Venues sometimes open up a little more space. We could sell five or ten more. And then of course, microconf US in Atlanta next April. There are still some tickets available for that. Anar and Tracy, thanks again for joining me. And we'll we'll have you back on again in a few months. Woo-hoo. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Anar and Tracy for coming back on the show. I hope you enjoyed our takes on these news stories. We'll be back with another Hot Take Tuesday here in a month or two. Thanks for listening this week and every week. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 674.